We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 this morning. If you want to turn there in your copy of God's Word. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is a weird, tough, difficult message this morning. Uh, maybe it's just for me. Maybe I'm the one that needed it. Maybe, maybe the rest of you guys, maybe you don't need it. But the title of the message is, Why Do You Look at the Splinter? That's the name from Luke chapter 6. The other day I was telling Beth that this was a tough message and she was like, is it tough because it's going to be hard to preach or is it tough because it's going to be hard for people to hear or is it tough because uh, it's going to be hard to track and it was like, yeah, all those, all those things. It's going to be, it's just tough. Uh, but we're going to, we're going to track through it and I want us to hear from Jesus this morning. Do you want to hear from Jesus this morning? I hope you do. Uh, we've been walking through this series called Pop Quiz, and we're looking at the questions that Jesus asked in the Scripture, or some of them. He asked a lot more than we're going to get to, but we're looking at some of them. Uh, week before last, it was, do you want to get well? And we talked about him encountering the, the man on the mat that had been laying there for 38 years, and last week was what? Do you all remember that? Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? I, I, I paused not to give you the opportunity to listen or to think, but because I had forgotten too, so it's okay. And this morning is, why do you notice the splinter from Luke chapter 6? We're going to start reading in verse 39. We're going to jump right in this morning. Luke 6, verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter? There it is. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. One of the weird things about this passage to me is I just hate eyes. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I've got mine, but I'm real sensitive with it. Like, if something gets in my eye, it's, it's pretty dramatic. Um, if, if my vision fails me, there's no way I could wear uh, contacts because I'm just sensitive about it. I had friends growing up, and they would take their eyelashes. Did y'all know these people? And pull their eyelid out and pop their eyelid inside out. Do, do, can anybody in here do that? That makes me weak. 
like people would do that and I would have to sit down. I can't, I can't take that kind of stuff. One time I was playing basketball with some of my friends and I dunked on this guy and um, he said, uh, hey, worry about your own splinter. Um, I dunked on this guy and um, this is how I saw it. His contact... He, he said that he thought his contact had gone into the back of his eyeball. I mean, it just fell out, and I think he finally found it, but I like had to go lay down on the cold floor for a minute because, I mean, I thought I was going to pass out. I've gotten better because, uh, other than me and Laney, our whole house is blind. I mean, everybody in our whole house is blind. Uh, hide and go seek at my house can last for hours. <laughs> you find a good spot and you're just there. But Jesus chose eyes to talk about this thing. And the whole time I was thinking about it this week, I, I didn't get this till later on in the week, but I'm like, man, why, why eyes? That's just, ugh. I, I don't want to talk about something being in my eye. But I think toward the end of the week, the Lord told me that the very nature of our sight is outward. Did you know that? Like it's the way we see is out there. And the honest truth is, it takes little effort for me to see you. I can see you right now. But I have to have a mirror, I have to be intentional about going to a reflection of myself to really see me. I can't see me without intentionally going to a mirror and looking for me. And the spiritual truth to that is the same as well. Like I can see you, spiritually I can see your junk. But for me to get a good glimpse of me, I've got to go to a mirror that tells me who I really am. Whole congregation illustration. I want y'all to really get this. I really want you to see it. Open your eyes as wide as you can, everybody. Now keep it like that. Everybody hold it for real. I'm going to make a post like, boy, that point got him this morning, boy. Ah! (laughs) Open your eyes as wide as you can. Now tell me how many wrinkles are on your forehead when you do that. Like I I want to say that I know me better than anybody, but the truth is I can't see my own forehead. I can't see the very basics of who I am. But you can look at your spouse and wives, you can tell your husbands how many wrinkles they have on their forehead. And husbands, you can tell your wives that they have none. But we can naturally see other people But we have to intentionally see ourselves. That's the whole nature of sight. Jesus uses two stories about sight. 
in this passage. By the way, this is the Sermon on the Plains. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. But he is talking to a whole group of his disciples. And he, used two, he uses two illustrations with sight. He says, wouldn't it be awkward to have a blind man guide another blind man? Wouldn't they just both fall into a pit? You know, there is some real spiritual blindness in our world. And I'm not talking about all those people out there in our culture. They're, when somebody's lost, you expect them to be blind to spiritual things. But there's real spiritual blindness all across, especially the United States of America, right now, this morning. And sometimes we use, it, we use the verse out of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, and we, we say, you know, iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And we say, you know, when we get together as believers, it's us sharpening one another. But the only way iron can sharpen iron is when they rub across one another. Iron doesn't sharpen iron if it's all going in the same direction. Every once in a while, there needs to be a grinding to sharpen. Just because we get together as believers don't mean we're sharpening anything. On Sunday mornings, we have to say some very difficult and tricky things at times up here. And I know that, that sometimes I may say some things, it, it may be some things that you've never heard a pastor say before, and it may bother you, and you may have to wrestle with it, and you may have times where you even just want to leave. I, I get that. But friend, let me tell you something. If, if you are ever just in a congregation or in a small group, and you never get uncomfortable in that small group, you never get addressed, sin addressed in that small group or in that church, if you, if you never just like say, oh, Jesus got me this morning, you may just be latched on to another blind man. Jesus grinds on me. Jesus is not like me. I see Jesus do things and say things in the scripture that I'm like, I cannot do that. It's hard to address certain things. It's as, as hard as it is to hear things, it's probably 20 times harder to say them. It's, it's hard to say hard things. Um, right now in our world, there's this big cry about Roe v. Wade. And some of you probably just gasped. What's he going to say? Uh, gasped. Didn't gasp, but gasped. <laughs> What's he going to say about Roe v. Wade? That's a hot topic right now. And, and you, you may have even heard me say this before. I'm, I'm against abortion. 
Do y'all hear me say that? I'm against abortion. But there's another side to this that I see where there are hundreds of thousands of, of orphans in our world right now while we have abortion. Will the church rise up and meet that need that is so, so already desperate when abortions are no more? Will we do it? Thank you. We got one. The church is really good about highlighting problems in our world and then going to the voting booth and, and maybe holding hands and shouting real loud, we're against abortion, we're against abortion, and hopefully that loud voice saying we're against abortion will drown out the cries of hundreds of thousands of orphans in our world right now. When the Bible gives us a task on the other side of voting, will we care for the orphan? It's a real spiritual blindness. When we end, when we end our talk at I'm against abortion, and we can find plenty of circles that we can gather in where we can talk about how against we are abortion, but we're not going to find a whole lot of circles where we're rising up and doing something about the orphan. You with me? Don't just leave the world with a problem. How does the Bible address the problem? You might go home today and say, Dustin's made me feel guilty because we're not going to adopt and foster. I'm not telling you to adopt and foster. I'm not telling you to do that. Jesus needs to tell you to do that. What I am saying is it's not okay to be blind and to continually choose blindness and only walk with people with the same blindness. It's, it's comfortable. It's comfortable to find people with the same blindness until you hit the pit. It's uncomfortable to get around people that can see where you cannot. But hopefully you stay out of the pit. Jesus switches gears and talks about a person with a beam in his eye trying to dig a splinter out of someone else's eye. This morning we're going to call that the plank eye. It's the third cousin to the stank eye. And if you don't deal with it, it might become the pank eye. Have you ever had a splinter in your eye? Not like an eyelash, but something real messed up in your eye. This happened to me twice. I was sawing a two by four one day and apparently it had something on it and it flung it up in my eye. I wasn't wearing glasses or anything. And it flung it up in my eye. And I've told you about my eyes. It was extremely dramatic. It didn't just affect the one eye that the splinter went into. My whole face, it looked like I was just lost a loved one. I mean, it was just, I, was, I was crying and I couldn't see anywhere and... Beth had to take me uh, to Dr. Becca Jackson to get it out. And then there was another time I was mowing and I did have glasses on and I flung a gumball and I guess it split up and flung something in my eye. And I had to go back to Dr. Jackson 
and get it dug out of my eye. But you know what? When she was getting that out of my eye, she put on these funny-looking magnifying glasses, and she was real gentle because there's opportunity in, in that sensitive area of your eye to not heal, but to make it worse. There's a real opportunity to make things worse. And, and if she wouldn't have been like really focused and, and really put these magnifying glasses on where she could see exactly where to go, if she, had, if she came in there blindfolded, there's no way I would have let her touch me because she could have made it worse. Now this morning, I want y'all to see this. I need, a, I need a few people to come up here. I need four people. We've, we've got less than four right now. Good job. Thank you. All right, we're going, we're going, I want y'all to see this because it looks, it looks silly. All right, here's your, all right, good job. Here's your splinter. Here's my splinter. Yeah. Miss Val, you're a little worse. <laughs> Steven, you're about the same. Okay. And then you're really bad. So, maybe you kicked the hitch on the truck and said a bad word. You know, oh, don't really, okay. Um, you thought it? All right, God saw it. Um, you know, and, and maybe these are the worst sins that we get. And you know, it's e- because of how vision works, it's easy for us to see that, right? Can you see hers? Not good. I, I can see hers. It's, it's small, but it's still there. But we, we can see, I mean, these people have obvious sins. And, and what Jesus is talking about, he's, he's wanting to paint a, paint a picture where it's so obvious that it would be like me saying, I cannot believe you cussed when you kicked the hitch at the truck. Let me help you with that. You know, like you see how, watch it, Steve. Like, you see how dangerous that can be where this isn't going to help for me to be walking around with a plank. Here, Hunter, hold that right there. Now, come over here. Now, I got you. I got you. I can't believe you did that, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is silliness, right? This is silliness, but this is, this is what it looks like. Y'all can sit down. This is what it looks like. When we're walking around and we're the spiritual police, but we got this big plank hanging out of our own eyeball. It's obvious to everybody else. Everybody else can see what's going on, but it's really hard for a blind person to see his own blindness. It's really hard for a blind person to see his own blindness. And that makes it really difficult. Because this person's walking around and they're trying to address things in other people's lives when they've got this whole beaming plank hanging out of their own eyeball. And it's obvious for everybody around them. Like, I cannot believe that that dude 
has all that going on. And he just tore somebody up over a tattoo. This person is manipulative. This person demands that they be forgiven when they have harmed other people, but they're unwilling to dig into the deep things in their life that is causing the hurt that they're demanding being forgiven from. These people are hurtful. These people are not a safe place for sinners. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for the church. It's dangerous for their families. It's dangerous for their own soul. They don't have healing on their mind. They only have identifying on their mind. I can see the bad stuff in your life. But I'm having to look past an eight-foot plank to see it. They say they're holding people accountable, but they're only pointing out flaws. Because the point of holding somebody accountable is always healing. Real, genuine, spiritual accountability always has healing as the end game. It doesn't just have identifying sins in somebody else's life. That's not accountability. That's plank eye. They always do more damage than they, they, than they do good. This person is normally miserable. I mean, does this look like a happy person? You can feel that. When Becca pulled the plank or pulled the splinter out of my eye, it was immediate relief for me. Immediate relief. But until she did, I was hurting. I was miserable. And there was nothing else on my mind. Plank eye causes the church to be known for what it's against instead of what it's for. Plank eye highlights hypocrisy. People see it in the church. It's extremely difficult to deal with a person with plank eye Because even though their issues are obvious to everybody else, it's really difficult to convince a blind person of their own blindness. Jesus moves right into verses 43 through 45. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Jesus uses another obvious illustration. He talks about trees. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. Obvious example. Uh, easy to understand. You can't, 
you can't go to an apple tree expecting an orange, and the way you identify an apple tree is by the fruit it produces. You don't have to dig up the root. It produces an apple. That makes it an apple tree. That's what decides its identity. The root decides it, but the fruit identifies it. And the second thing I want us to see this morning, the second point, the second observation is our life's fruits reveal our heart's roots. Our life's fruits reveal our heart's roots. The question that this story leaves us is what's good fruit and what's bad fruit? Because some people would say, man, if I, if I make a lot of money in my job, that's good fruit. If I'm a rich person, if I have a big house, that's good fruit. But that presents a problem for us in this room that follow Jesus because he said foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So what is good fruit? What is Jesus calling good fruit? We got to know what the fruit is to know where our roots are. What are we producing? Galatians 5 helps us out a whole lot. A lot of times the scripture will tell you the answer to the questions that you have. Galatians 5 verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. This is bad fruit. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. Those three have to do with sexual things. Idolatry, sorcery, those things have to do with religion. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Those things have to do with relational issues. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice them will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's bad fruit and there's good fruit. And Jesus said a bad tree can't produce good fruit and a good tree can't produce bad fruit. It's an obvious thing, but it's kind of difficult, too. And, and Jesus isn't saying, Paul's not saying, now go try to love joy. You know, you try to do all those things and stop doing the other things. What they're saying is, is when your roots are dug deep into the nature of the Son of Jesus Christ, he cannot help but change the fruit that you produce. It's not go try harder. It's dig deeper into Jesus. And when I dig deeper into Jesus and when I plant my roots more secure into Jesus every day, he somehow produces the things that are not me. I'm not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. I'm not all those things. But the more I dig into who he is, he somehow miraculously changes who I am. And I look at my journey and I say, I'm not who I want to be or who I need to be, but I'm definitely not who I used to be. And these verses are connected to the verses before it. This is, this is where it kind of gets icky. And I want to be clear about some things. Y'all, 
you really don't need to worry about anybody else's stuff until the Spirit of God is producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You know what I'm saying? Because even if you can identify issues in another person's life, you are not spiritually equipped to address it. It's like going up to them with a plank and saying, hey, I know you're sleeping around. Does it matter if they're sleeping around? Yeah, it matters. But you might go cause more damage than good if you got a plank hanging out of your eyeball. Now, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if there's something that is going on, if you're, if you're seeing a child mistreated, if you're seeing something that needs to be legally reported, you need to do that. I'm not saying don't, don't do that. What I'm saying is there is this overwhelming judgmental attitude that we see in the world where we can identify everybody else's flaws and we're willing to go address everybody else's flaws and we got plenty to deal with in our own soul. Jesus is not producing the fruit in our life yet that is, that is the fruit of a mature person who is slowly rooting himself in Christ every day. And we're trying to address the issues of the world. And we're wondering, like, why do people hate the church? Because they see hypocrites. We can identify their junk, but we're looking past our own. This is the application for this point. We have to learn to deal with our own junk most swiftly and aggressively. What I see, y'all, and, and it's, I'm, I'm, I want y'all to know that I've had to preach this message like 10 times to myself, okay? We swiftly go to correct somebody else, and we aggressively correct people. We need to swiftly go to our own soul. If somebody comes up and, and corrects us in the scripture, the first thing we do is raise defenses. Yeah, but we need to be most desperate about correcting our own soul. And we need not worry about the world until we do. Do we love the world? Yes. But we need to be most passionate about our own soul connecting with Jesus, Him producing those fruits in us and killing our sin. Let me show you what happens when we do that. Chapter 7, verse 1. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he finished his sermon. He entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him. Who was it? Who did he send? 
Jewish elders. I really want you all to see this. He sent some Jewish elders. So these are people that know about the Messiah. They know about the Old Testament requesting him to come and save the life of this servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, listen to what they say about the centurion. He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. This is what the Jews say about the centurion. He's worthy. This is, this is highly religious talk. He's done good things, so he deserves your favor, O oh God. He is worthy for you to do nice things for him. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him. Now listen to what the centurion says. Lord, don't trouble yourselves, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Not only am I not worthy for you to do this thing for me, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. I am not worthy. People were saying he was worthy. He's saying, I'm not worthy. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Not only can I not come to your house, I had to send other people because I'm not worthy. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority. Having soldiers under my command, I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have never found so great a faith even in Israel. So the people said this guy was worthy. The guy said, I'm not worthy. But it don't really matter what either of them said. Jesus said, I've never seen such faith. And this is the thing that I want you to see. The, the third thing. Life is most effective and best lived in our own unworthiness. We, we get caught up in correcting what everybody else is doing when if, when if we would just say, I'm not, I'm humbly say, I'm, I'm not, not in a fake way, but in an authentic way. I'm not, I'm not worthy for what Jesus is, is doing in my life. Did you know if you take that stance, if you just take that stance of saying, I'm not worthy and I'm not going to go, go just smash somebody else because I'm not worthy of the grace I've been shown. If you take that stance, people take notice. They see it. You, you don't even have to go tell them a lot of times because they see that happening in you. And it doesn't even matter what they say. It doesn't even matter what you say. But when King Jesus says, I've never seen such faith, that is what matters. The big picture of the whole message that I want to leave you with Following Jesus causes us to serve others and control ourselves. When we are out to control others and serve ourselves, we are no longer following Jesus.
when I'm outward focused and controlling other people's sin and what other people have going on and, and being sure they know when they are sinful and I'm, not, and I'm missing my own, I do not look like Jesus. But when I'm able to identify my own unworthiness and live in that own unworthiness, I'm able to look at anybody else with compassion and plead the truth of the gospel with them. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Please come be a sinner saved by grace with me. Not I hate you because you endanger my way of life. Not I can't believe you do. Anybody that does this is going to hell. Not, not, not any of that, but, but this, this identification that it is only by grace that I am saved. My hope is only in Jesus. And your hope can be in him too. Now we skipped a part. And we've got to go to it real quick. Jesus asked another question in his message, Sermon on the Plain. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I'll show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. You see what Jesus is saying? Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? There's a lot of people in our world where when I, when I talk about this, this, this beam and this splinter, they're like, man, preach it, Dustin. And they'll say, Jesus is Lord, Dustin. But really what I've said up to this point makes no difference to them because Jesus really isn't Lord. And Jesus paints this picture of two houses. One house is built, and they dig way down deep into the foundation, into the ground to find the rock to place a foundation to build on that makes the house. It's like it completely changes the identity of the house because they've gone down deep to the rock. But then there's another house where the house is just placed on what's already there. Like, there's this, there's this ground here. Let's just dump a house on it. And sometimes that's, what we, that, that's the way we treat our relationship with Jesus. Like, it's not that I want Jesus to come in and completely change who I am. I just want to sit Jesus on what's already there. Like, I just want to add Jesus to the land I bought. I just want to add a house to the land I bought. And Jesus says, friend, don't, don't trick yourself. 
don't say Lord, Lord and not care about what I say. In the book of Acts, the apostle Peter is on top of a house and he's asleep and he sees a vision. And you can look this up later if you want to, but Peter's a Jew and he sees a vision of all these unclean animals on a sheet. God presents him and he says, Peter, son, arise, kill, and eat. Peter's never eaten any of this stuff before. It's all unclean. Peter's a Jew, and he wants to keep on being a Jew, and he likes his Jewishness, and he says, no, Lord. Did you hear that? No, Lord. No, Lord. Does that make sense in your mind? In your seat, you should have a little postcard and a pen. A really nice pen. And you can have that pen if you'd like it. But I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you to take out that card and that pen. It's a really small piece of paper, but it's, I hope it's meaningful to you. I want you to write two words on that card. I need everybody to do it. Will you hold your card up? I need everybody to hold your card up. I need everybody to do it. First word I want you to write is this, this word. No. N-O. Easy to spell. And the second word I want you to write is Lord. Capital L at least, but probably capital O-R-D too. And I want you to look at it, and I, and I want you to be real with yourself. I, I did this myself this week, I, but I want you to be real with yourself. And I, I want you to look at those two words, and I want you to know K-N-O-W that these two words cannot exist beside themselves. You hear me? Like, the no and the Lord cannot stay on the sheet of paper. One of them's got to go. Because you don't say no to a Lord. If you say no to a Lord, he's no longer a Lord. He's just another guy added to my already existing life. You can't keep the no and the Lord on the paper. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Am I going to say no to Jesus? Or am I going to say Lord to Jesus? Because they can't exist on the same soul either. If I, if I X this out, if I X no out and I circle this Lord, it is whatever you say Jesus goes in my life. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No, but you're going to choose him every single time. But if not, be honest with yourself. 
and mark out Lord. I think that's a much better place than convincing ourselves that we are something that we're not. This morning, I want to pray for you. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And if you were honest with yourself and you had to circle no and mark out Lord, but if you're asked to do this again, you you don't ever want to do that again. I want to give you the opportunity to trust him. Here's what we're going to do. If you're in this room and you're, you don't mind sharing your faith with somebody, will you stand up? You don't mind sharing the gospel with somebody, will you stand up? It's okay if you're not comfortable. If you have that card in your hand and you had to circle no and mark out Lord and you want that to change, I want you to take that card to, to somebody standing right now. After that, what's going to happen is they're going to walk you out of the room, probably in my office, Kirk's office, the rec space, something like that, and they're going to share with you how you can know Jesus. Everybody be seated. If you are struggling with the plank eye, maybe you know that, that you have dealt more harshly and more aggressively with other people's sin than your own, and you don't want to do that moving forward. You want to humbly submit and walk in your own unworthiness from now to the rest of your life, uh, for the rest of your life. I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you... It'll take a lot of guts, but if that's you, will you stand up right now so we can pray over you? Church, will you move around these and let's pray over them, please? Father, you are so incredibly good, and the truth is we're not. We like to pretend that we are. We're so broken. We're so in need of you. We're so desperately in need of you. And God, you know, you know what's going on in my own soul. That this is these these are tough messages. These are um, it's hard to say these types of things because we like to um, we like to act like preachers know more and are better. And and God, you know I'm I'm sitting front front seat, maybe even driving the struggle bus. 
I pray that nobody in this room heard that Dustin was the authority on this, but that Jesus is. And at the same time, God, sometimes because we're all so broken, we surrender to it like there, there's no way it can change. But God, you can do anything. And we don't want to surrender to this thing like, like well, we're all hypocrites and, and nothing's ever going to change. Just everybody's a hypocrite. No, we believe you can produce the fruit of the Spirit in the worst of souls when they have surrendered to you. Will you do that in us? Will you make our church known for a church that produces fruit that looks like their king. I pray that we would be known for being unworthy because we are. And we're only worthy because you declare it. I pray these next two songs are beautiful music to your ears. I pray that any, if anything in this message was muddy, that you would clear it up. I trust you to do that. And I pray that, that your word would never be apologized for here but that it would, all, it would be a surgeon's knife and also a healing balm to every soul. We know that it is only the only place where we find true healing. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.